Father, what a wonderful thing to know that as we face the struggles and challenges of this life, that it's not left just to us, but that you're our Heavenly Father. All things are possible with you, and you are working your perfect will out in all of our lives. Admittedly, Lord, there are times we don't understand that. Even times when we might wonder where you are and why you're not helping us in a particular way. And yet, Lord, the reality is that you are there and you are working your purpose out. And somehow, all things are going to work together for good. And as we grow in our faith and learn to understand that and to trust that and to live by that, we'll begin to experience the peace that comes from belonging to you. Forgive us, Lord. Every one of us break focus on you during the week. Our heart wanders and becomes focused on things that are of this earth and not things that are of you. Oftentimes we fall in love with the things of this world. Oftentimes we give ourselves to those things and we do it to the neglect of our own spirit spiritual pilgrimage. I ask you to forgive us, Lord, for not taking full advantage of all the spiritual opportunities you give us moment by moment and day by day. I ask you to forgive us, Lord, from the times that we literally stiff-arm your Holy Spirit and try to make him submit to our will. I ask you to forgive us. There are a lot of things you'd like us to do that we haven't done. And there are certainly some things we've done that you did not want us to do. So in the privacy of our own hearts this morning, might each one of us call out and say, Lord, please forgive me. And give me a new start today. Father, we have assurance that that forgiveness and that new start today is all a part of Jesus going to the cross and dying for our sins that we might live now and forever. And we thank you, Lord, that you've provided a solution for our sin nature, one who's been a substitute and atoned for all of the sins, amazingly past, present, and even future. Thank you, Father. Father, when we gather together, I'm a little overwhelmed, as I'm sure others are, because there are so many needs, so many things that we share with each other as a family and that we care about. You know of all the medical challenges that we face, Lord. And as we get older, we find there are more and more of those. Just ask you, Lord, to help us deal with life as we find it day by day. And we pray for those who are struggling with medical problems. Sometimes the emotional is even more striking than the physical, Lord. So we pray and we ask you to help those who struggle emotionally. We all have folks in our own families and even at times us. And I pray that our stability would come through you. 
and that our significance would be rooted in you and not in us and not in other people or the things of this world. And I know, Lord, that we struggle spiritually. The evil one so much wants us to take our mind off of you and your son Jesus and close the door in your Holy Spirit and he offers us things that are absolutely not true. He encourages us to be involved in things that will ultimately destroy us and destroy our relationship with you. I ask you, Lord, to help us be strong and courageous and to walk hand in hand with you and with your spirit. I thank you for our church, Lord. This is a good place to be, Father, and a place that's blessed by you. And I sense, as others do, Lord, that we're at a threshold and that as we cross through this threshold that love will abound, the love from you to us and our love for each other. Love really does cover a multitude of sins, Father. And we're all sinners. Might we learn to love in a whole new and dramatic way. And may we be known in this community as a church of love. Father, thank you for bringing us together today. Thank you for what you're now about to do as we open your word. Thank you in the very precious name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. I invite you to open your Bibles with me to the 139th Psalm. The 139th Psalm. And we're going to look at the 13th through the 16th verses. The 139th Psalm. We're going to start with the 13th verse. you would, put your finger in your Bible. Before we start, let's ask the Lord to help us with what we're about to do. Let's pray. Father, I ask you very specifically now to open your word. You've been ministering to people with your word since the very beginning of time, and you have empowered it with your spirit, and now, Lord, it's right before us to speak to us in our day and in our time. I pray that your Holy Spirit would now impact us with your word, that it truly might cut all the way to where we live and where we breathe, and that we might take it home and apply it in our own lives. So bless us now, I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. I want to introduce you to somebody. You can kind of picture him if you'd like to. His name is Moshi. Moshi the Beetle. You got that? Moshi the Beetle. Moshi. He's Jewish. Or was Jewish. He was an immigrant who made his way into the northernmost province of Romania prior to the Second World War. And he lived in a small village in Romania. He worked at the synagogue as a day laborer made a minimal amount of money. It wasn't really a full-time job. And Moshe, when he wasn't working, would go down to the little square in the middle of that village 
And he would sit there, and he would get to know everybody who walked by, and everybody knew Moshe. The beetle. They called him the beetle. I hope affectionately. Although I don't think I'd want anybody to call me the beetle. I think the reason they did that is because of his physical appearance. He was a bit awkward. Some said he was like a clown, and I believe that clowning around was a way of trying to deal with his own hurt over his physical appearance. But Moshe was well known. 1941, Nazi Germany had come into the country of Romania, and they were pretty well exercising a free hand of power and influence, doing whatever they wanted to do. And most of the political leaders in Romania were working with them, trying to preserve their own positions. And in 1941, the German government said to the Jews who lived in Romania, who had immigrated there, that they were going to be displaced. They called them all down to the train station. Moshi was one of those. They put them in cattle cars, and it's described as having crammed them into cattle cars. And the trains left the station in that village and in villages and cities all across Romania and took Jews who had come from other countries, and they took them into Poland. Word spread very quickly that the people who had been taken on by train were actually being taken to a work camp and that conditions were going to be good there. And I wonder if the people in Romania who watched those trains pull out, if they really believed that or just wanted to believe it. You see, the economy in Romania was going pretty well at the time. People had jobs. They had food on the table. Their children were in college or in school. Children were playing freely in the streets without any oppression. Pretty much people were living their own lives and were pretty satisfied. And when that happens to a people, they start ignoring what's going on around them. Pretty much I think that's happening in our country to a degree. There are things happening in our country that ought to really concern us. But as long as we have a job or as long as we have income or as long as we're okay, we somehow, excuse me, we dumb down to what's going on around us. That train went across into Poland like many, many other trains. They got the Jewish immigrants off the train, gave them shovels, and told them to fill a mass grave that was filled with bodies from a previous train. Once they had filled the grave, they were instructed to then dig another mass grave. And then systematically they were machine gunned. Moshe took a wound to the leg and fell into that mass grave. They assumed he was dead. After the train left, Moshe climbed out of that grave, got to a farmhouse and got some care for his leg. And weeks later, he made it back to the village he'd come from. 
And he got back to the square in the village and he started telling people what had happened. And they didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to believe it. 1944. The Germans decided that they would take all the Jews, not just the immigrants, and that they would take them into Poland. First thing they did is they went through the village where Moshe lived and other towns and villages, and they told all of the Jews that they were to get one suitcase full of their most valuable possessions because that's all they could take with them, and they were to assemble in the streets. Then the Germans went through their apartments because they'd put them into a ghetto. And they went through their apartments and looked for their precious things they may have hidden. And then they put them on a cattle car, making them leave their luggage in the road, feeling for sure that's where their treasures were. And they took them into Poland, and they got them off the train, and they had them fill a massive grave dig a new grave, and they machine gun them. How can we not pay attention to what's going on? Isn't that interesting? We all do it. Not just those folks in Romania, but all of us. We get so caught up with life and wanting things to be okay. One reporting organization tells us that more than 55 million Babies have been killed since Roe versus Wade was passed in 1973. We're also told from statistics from Planned Parenthood that they have taken the lives of more than 6 million children. Don't hear much about that. You hear about the 6 million Jews who died. But one organization in our country has taken the lives of six million people. Interesting thing, if we have no regard for life, it may be children, it may be Jews, and it may be you next. If those who have power over us have no regard for human life, they won't regard yours when it suits their purpose. Two terms I want to present to you. You know both of them, I think. Egocentric. When I think about where I'm going with this passage and what it says today and how we interpret it and how we understand it, if we are egocentric, we have a filter we run everything through, and that filter is, how does it fit with my life? How does it serve me? What do I get out of this? It's all about us being center stage. Christocentric. Jesus. God becomes the filter. He's center stage. Life's all about him and how we relate to him and how we live the life he's given us. So when you look at social issues, you're going to either be egocentric or you're going to be Christocentric. And as you read the newspaper and as you watch the news and as you listen to people talk, listen carefully with a discerning ear and you're going to hear an egocentric approach to life, or Christocentric. I want you to keep that in mind as we look at the passage. The 139th Psalm. 
And I'm starting with the 13th verse. Listen very carefully. God wants us to hear this. For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. I skillfully wrought and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. These words come from the inspired lips of the one we know as King David. And he was given the ability to start to understand himself and the world as God sees it. And what you have is David's Christocentric view of what God is saying. If you look at the 13th verse, he says, For you were formed, for you formed my inward parts. You know, if I move this microphone, it might stop making that popping noise. I know it's not distracting you, but guess who it's distracting? What he's saying is that God is the one who's created us. God didn't just think of us, but God created all the individual parts, and he put all those parts together and wove them together to make you as you are. And I think it is fascinating to look at how different you and I are. It's even fascinating to look in one family where it's the same mama and daddy and they have children and the children are so very different. One of our sons and his wife have five children and their firstborn, when she was just a baby, couldn't talk, she was shy and retiring and would hold her head down and kind of cock it over. You've seen little children do that. And her sister, who was born about a year and a half later, she came into the world giggling and looking for somebody to talk to and hug. And here they are, the same mama and daddy. How is that possible? That uniqueness comes from God who has formed each one of us. He is our creator. I find it very interesting that both the law of our land and also many people are advocates that mamas and mamas alone have a right to decide over the life or death of the baby they carry. And their argument typically is, well, I'm the one who's going to birth the baby. So in most jurisdictions, even the father has nothing to say about it. It's just the birthing mother. Well, if you want to talk about original jurisdiction, it doesn't seem to me it's with mama. Certainly not with daddy. It seems to me original jurisdiction goes back to the one who created, not merely birthed. And the one who did the creating is God. So if you have a Christocentric approach to this topic and other topics, you very quickly will say, well, our God made us so he has original jurisdiction. I'd love to hear an amen to that. We don't. He is God. We're not God, and we need to not play God 
in our life. We need to listen to him and respond to him and live this life the way he wants us to live it. If you look on down in the 14th verse, it says, God deserves our thanks. And if you look at the verse, you'll see it says, I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully. Wow. Awestruck. When you look around at what God has done, it is absolutely amazing. Just think, he made some of us tall and slender. and made some of you shorter and not so slender. I'm talking about heaven now. But the uniqueness is so just breathtaking. And it's wonderful. I have the occasion, and so do you, to be around folks who are either dealing with serious illness or have loved ones who are. And I have witnessed something that you've witnessed also. I have witnessed hearts that don't want to stop beating. Sometimes they just beat on and on and on. You know why that is? When God made Adam and Eve, he made them to live forever. And this whole thing that he put together was designed to live forever, never to die. That's how wonderful it is. Sin has corrupted that. But if you watch the human body closely, that which God put together so wonderfully is still trying to live forever. Now, what God has done is he's provided a resolution to that. When we come to know Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior, we are born again, and in that being born again, we have an assurance that we're going to get a resurrected body that will not fail us and will be just as wonderful and fearfully made as when he made Adam and Eve. And we're going to experience that for eternity. And that's the praise of the Lord. So what he's saying is we have reason to give thanks. I want to tell you about a lady I met. I was in Romania, and there was a shortage of preachers after the communist regime fell. And they asked me to do weddings, and they asked me to do funerals. One of the funerals that they asked me to do, a pediatrician who was my host put me in his car, drove me through several small villages on a pretty small, narrow, two-lane road, got out into the countryside, and we came to a bridge, and instead of going across the bridge, he went down the embankment into the creek. And we drove up this creek that had about that much water in it and was filled with rocks on the bottom. I didn't say anything, but I was real curious if I'd ever get back to where Linda was that night. But we went up, I would think, a mile or so, and then he turned and went up this kind of a ravine kind of on an angle, and we went up onto the side of this pretty good-sized hill, and on top of that hill was a village. had about 200 people living in it. No electricity, no running water, adobe-type homes, a wall around the whole village. We got out of the vehicle, and there was almost no one there, just a few very small children and some very, very old folks. And the men and women were in a valley with handsickles, cutting wheat, and I could see them way down in that valley. And about 5 o'clock in the afternoon, they came up the hill. 
they all dispersed to their homes for a few moments, and then they came back together, and we had a funeral service for someone who had died. After the casket was placed in the ground, the widow of the man who had died, through my pediatrician friend who was Romanian, she said to me, I have something I want to give you. She took me into her home. She had an oil-burning lamp, no electricity. She had earthen floors. She had a chest about that big. And she had some things on top of it, and she moved the things off of it. And she opened the chest, and she started rooting around just like we would. And she, and I'm at a lack of words for this, she pulled out this piece of material that she had embroidered. And what it was was a, a runner about that wide that you could put over a table. And she handed that to me. It was kind of yellow, I guess, from age. And she hugged me and thanked me for burying her husband. I sat in the car going back with that in my lap, looking at it. And I thought about the number of hours it took for her to make that. And I thought about the fact that she either did it in the day or did it by oil lamp at night. And I thought about how precious that was to her. I had thanked her, but I didn't thank her enough. Every time I look at it or think about it, I realize what she did and what she gave to me. The psalmist says to us, we ought to thank God for what he has made. And we shouldn't deal lightly with that. Our whole orientation ought to be Thank you, Father. Thank you for having made us and for having made everyone who lives. If you look on down to the 15th verse, he says an interesting thing. He says to us that we were made in secret. And the way he says it, he says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. It's a dualism. He's saying on the one hand, I was made in secret. I was made within the womb. I was put in a protective environment. All of my needs were met. I was there and I was safe. And at the same time, you could see me. You know, today we can get a glimpse. Ultrasound gives us a glimpse. Some of the testing that goes on gives us some analysis of what's going on in the womb. But God was there. God was not only knitting that person together, he could see every detail of what he was doing. He says that we were conceived in the earth, not by man, not by any kind of technology, but in the privacy of God's creation. I love it in Genesis where it talks about taking dust and blowing into it and creating a man or a woman and giving them a soul that abides with us all of our life and eternally. Remember, folks, it's not a question of whether we're going to live eternally. 
It's only a question of where we're going to reside eternally. And what God did is he gave life. And he didn't need a Presbyterian committee to get together and decide how to do that. He did that all by himself. Isn't it amazing? He is God and he is sovereign. I don't really wait for him to call and ask for my advice. I've been waiting for one of our presidents to do that over the years, and none of them have done that either. I wish one of them would. If you look down at verse 16, he says that what God has done is he's set our days. (coughs) I find it interesting that there's a debate that goes on about when life begins. And there are some who say, well, life begins at conception. I'd like to go back a little bit before that. There are others who say, well, life begins when God first thought of us. I like that. Before the foundation of the world, he decided to draw us into a relationship with him. When did we start to exist? When God conceived of us before he made any of this. So it seems to me it's a little short-sighted to say, well, what God did is he made us, but our actual being started at some point during the pregnancy period or at conception. I'm a little overwhelmed by something I read recently. (coughs) There are those who are now advocating fourth trimester abortion. Think about that a minute. Two contributors to the Medical Journal of Ethics this last year got together and wrote an article and said, we need to get to the point that we allow fourth trimester abortions. And their argument is that anything that would justify an abortion during the first three trimesters Once you get the baby and do an evaluation, if you're not happy, you'll be able to take that baby's life. Post-birth abortion. If you have no regard for human life, and if you are egocentric in your approach, that makes perfect sense. See how far we have gone? That we would even have that in a medical journal for debate and discussion? Moshe tried to get people to listen to him. Most people didn't. We need to listen. And you might say, well, Pastor, what can I do at this point in my life? I think Linda and I have passed the point of bringing children into the world. So, and for a lot of you, but the The reality is there are a lot of young folks around. Some of them are in your family, your children, your grandchildren, people you come in contact with who may be faced with that decision. I got a phone call one day when I was pastoring in Columbia. 
And this lady was on the phone, and she had asked our secretary to let her speak to one of the pastors, and I got the call. And the lady said, my daughter is a teenager, and she's sitting in the car, and the car is running, and we're on our way to an abortion clinic. And it dawned on me, maybe I ought to talk to somebody who is spiritual before we go. I said, why don't you come on over to the church, and let's sit and just chat face to face. She came. And I met her, and I met her daughter. And by God's grace, that child that that daughter did bring into this world, I trust is walking around someplace today. The daughter never attended our church. The mother did. And about two years later, I got a phone call from the same lady, and she said, my daughter's pregnant again. My daughter wants to have an abortion. They came back to my office. We had a conversation, and by God's grace, I think that baby is walking around today on earth. I do believe when I get to heaven, there are lots of things I haven't done right, but I do believe my Jesus is going to say, well done on that one, well done. That's the opportunity you have to influence other people from a Christocentric perspective and help them to acknowledge that all of creation is a result of God's plan and that God loves our babies just like he loves us. Do you understand? Folks, don't let it just go by. Write a letter. Call somebody. Do something. Use your influence in the lives of other people. And if you save just one child, God will be happy. Let's pray together. Father, it truly is a difficult world that we find ourselves living in. And there are challenges, Lord, that are beyond us. And I know, Lord, that there are a lot of folks who have had abortions who today wish they did not and had not had that experience. I thank you, Lord, that you're a forgiving God. And I thank you that you give us a new opportunity an opportunity to be used by you to influence somebody else. Help us, Lord, to be your church. Help us to be your mouthpiece. Help us to have your heart and your love. For I ask it in the very precious name of Jesus. Amen. You know what's going to make us a beautiful church? More beautiful. By the way, Linda and I are falling in love with you, so get ready. But you know what's going to make us even more beautiful? The more we learn how to love, to love each other, to really genuinely care about each other, and to keep rehearsing in our mind how much he loves us, for he does. Isn't this a good place to be on Sunday morning?
God bless you. Let's stand together. May God be with us and may He keep us close to Him and and help us to think with Him and walk with Him and be an extension of Him in so many ways as we meet other people and as we minister to them. God bless you and God keep you, my friends. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.